We're going to read just a couple verses here in a few minutes. Gabe really encouraged me. He's uh, on the way out to Philly to finish up some schooling. He's got one trip, this trip, and then one more. But he really encouraged me to take some time and, and just kind of slow down a little bit uh, in terms of a lot of content we've covered the last several weeks. Um, so I want to do that this morning, but I want to give a context here just a few minutes for, for why this matters. So we're, we're going to just read a, a big thought from, from Nehemiah 6, and then we will uh, kind of work backwards a little bit. You know, we'll, we'll take more time. How many of you been reading Nehemiah? Raise your hands if you've been reading Nehemiah. Awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. Some of you have texted me this week about things you feel like the Lord's speaking, please continue to do that. My, I've been really encouraged to talk to Jesse about some stuff that she was seeing. I'm hoping that she'll be able to share that as a part of this um, journey. But if someone could sum up the book of Nehemiah in a couple sentences, what would you say this book is about? Yeah, so there was a lot of rebuilding that needed to take place. And I think if you were to really talk about the big themes, and there's a lot of different stuff in there, but the rebuilding of the wall and the story of God and his relationship with his people, I think would be some pretty good, broad things to, to think about whenever you're uh, talking about this book. And in the midst of that, there's a statement, I think, that is it's really important in it as we go through this and hopefully hear from different people as we go through the, at least the first half of the book of Nehemiah. Um, I want us to look at chapter 6. We're going to read just a couple of verses here at the beginning and talk about this big thought. Verse 1, Now it happened when Samballot, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors and the gates, that Sam Ballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages on the plains of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? And there is this place in Nehemiah's life, and as we, again, we understand that the story of who Nehemiah was, and, and we're not going to get into all that this morning. We see this journey of this guy who's actually like a servant, um, who becomes a leader. And there's a lot of like big things, but there's this idea of, hey, there's a, there's a great work to be done. There's, there's something significant, something important that we're up to. And so um, as we have been getting ready to go into Nehemiah, uh, there's been a couple of, of big thoughts that we've laid out over the last, um, like, maybe month. And I want to just review those things really quickly. And, and the first kind of big thought was, like, asking God to help us uh, to live with an unconditional yes. Conventional wisdom will lead to many conditions in our yes to God. Does that make sense to you? So if, if, if we have a place where, you know, I, I realize there's some, some things that have come up where I feel like, uh, invitations or opportunities are opened up and the, instead of me saying let me pray and see what God has to say 
the first thought that goes through my mind is, well, here's all of the, the, the conditions that would need to be met before I could say yes. And so this idea of, you know, uh, if we sang a song that was like, Lord, I give you 85% of my heart. That would be a crummy worship song. Right? I surrender some. Like that would just would not work. So we can talk about things like living with an unconditional yes, and those things can sound good. They can make good songs. They can make nice bumper stickers. But what that really means for us is challenging to us. And so we just talked about um, as we prepare, and we can pray things like, God, uh, make us ready for increase. And this could be in our collective journey together as a church family. This could be in the body of Christ. This could be you as an individual. Um, and we talked about the scripture that, that, that says that a clean stall, an empty stall stays clean, but much strength is gained through the ox. So it's, it's easy to kind of pray, God, make me ready for increase, but that means like there's going to be a mess that comes with the strength of the ox. And in that passage, that word increase specifically is dealing with the idea of harvest. And so if we think about what a harvest would look like, and that could mean different things for, you know, different places, for people in different places, but if I just think, what would it look like to see a harvest of people coming to Jesus in Grove City? And I said, how many of you would love to see a harvest of hearts and souls and lives in Grove City? And we, and we talked about that. We could get really excited about that. But there'd be a mess that would come with it. Has anyone ever been involved in seeing someone discipled where there hasn't been a mess? And so honestly, I don't want to, it's not my heart that next week we just see 200 people crammed in the room that have prayed some prayer. We hope we call that a day. And we said, oh, look, what good, good thing that has happened. And, and we just hope that they somehow grow up. At the same time, we can't afford to lose the fact that there are Thousands of people in Grove City that need a real relationship with God. And we can pray for the nations, but like until we are faithful with the people on our block, why would we step over our neighbors to get someplace else? Until we are passionate about the mission of seeing the people around us come to Jesus. But if we are going to pray for increase, we have to be ready for the mess that comes with it. Does that make sense? You hear me? Yeah. All right. The other idea we talked about was this place of like, you know, the idea of being a pioneer and following Jesus. Yeah, God, whatever you want. I'll go wherever you want me to go. Sometimes, again, that sounds really, that sounds really good. I had a time where I was praying with some, was my spiritual dad and some big brothers several years ago, and I had this entry in my journal about going off the map, that God is looking for people who will follow him and, and, and go beyond what's already been charted out. It's easy to, that sounds really good. It sounds kind of adventurous. But then when you think about, if you can see the little picture behind this, when you see like there was people who got on boats back and they thought the world might be flat. We might fall off the edge. And, and going off the map, the idea of pioneering can sound really good without ever taking a step. Without ever saying, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to, to learn to love each other in a way that the world could recognize that we belong to Jesus. Man, we can pray that prayer and be sincere, and then all of a sudden, whenever there's a family in need, and like we, it starts, it's, when you got money, it's easy to give money. You know, if you don't have money, it's not easy to give money. But it can be really easy to say, hey, I'll, I'll give an offering, but like, what if, 
What if what someone needs is for you to come and sit with them and pray with them? What if Derek and Laura, as they are continuing in their journey, uh, what if what they need is someone to come and hang out with Josiah while they take a nap? What if somebody stumbles and what is required is for those who are spiritual to get into the messy work of restoring someone? So living with an unconditional yes and saying, God, we'll go wherever you want us to go, but what does the next step look like? Does that make sense? Yes? No? Be honest. And the last thing we talked about that day was like this idea of, God, we're hungry for your fire. We want to see you move. We want to see revival come. Whatever that, whatever that is. Guys, listen, don't ever get too mature to be hungry. Don't ever grow up in your maturity to, get to a place of wisdom where you're not ready independent and desperate for the move of God. Peter talks about the day of visitation in a way that he says, hey, you should live in a, in, a, in a way that when the day of visitation comes, people who have kind of mocked you in your faithfulness would recognize that God has shown up. It would validate your life. So we're not talking about praying for the fire of God to come in a way that empowers us to live careless, reckless, irresponsible lives. But we're talking about a sincere desire that I'm not going to call following Jesus just managing my life by my own strength. There has to be something where my dependency is built into him. And so living with that unconditional yes is I'm hungry for fire, God, and so let me lay down on the altar. You can have my life. And so those things are a part of, like, I think, preparing us to talk about God's great work. Because there's a great work that God's called his people to. And this is not AOX Vision Sunday. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about God's got promises in his word. There's things he uses to talk about his people. There's things, he, he, there's things that he says to describe his heart's intention for the world. And we don't have to be just passively waiting for, to see what happens next. He is inviting us to cooperate in his great work. He is inviting us to step in with him. What does that word cooperate mean? To labor together. To, to, there's a co in the operation. How many of you would join me in saying, like, I am much more... Uh, comfortable with the idea if God is my master, God is my boss, I do what God says. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God, I'll, I'll obey. You just tell me what to do and I'll obey. But the, the language of the New Testament that we are laborers together with God is very specifically not boss-employee language. God does not need us to do his thing. It is his good pleasure that those he made in his image would be used to see the works of the devil destroyed. I mean, look at those guys back there on that couch. I mean, just look at them. Yeah, someone should take a picture. I mean, it's just stunning back there. It's like the future Mount Rushmore, something great. Like, we could, we could talk, I mean, like, listen, I have a lot of uh, love and affection for these guys. I don't even know them that well, but I know, like, the amazing potential so I better say potential. How many know potential can be a good word and it can also be a painful word? Right? There's amazing potential back there. But God's invitation 
for those four guys, if the rest of us, if the, our whole life was just to see them succeed in their mission with God, it's not that God needs them. Right? We're talking about the one who spoke and things happened. Worlds were formed. We're talking about, I mean, Moses and one of the most epic moments in the Bible, or at least in the movies about the Bible. <laughs> Stand still and see the salvation of your God. God says, no, actually, you stretch forth your hand. Right. Moses is like, look at what God's going to do. He said, no, actually, I'm only going to move in conjunction with you. You stretch out your rod. Whose strength was it that did it? God. So do you think anybody, do you think anybody mistook that the fact it wasn't really Moses or Charleston Heston? It wasn't really that stick. It was God's power. But God said, I don't want to do this without you. I will move with you. So we have a problem because we have a lot of the church waiting for God to do something he's only willing to do when we cooperate with him. And that's not because God is limited to our nature. It's because it is his nature. It's his best design that he shows his strength through our perfection. Right? His strength is made perfect when I get it together. Right? So we keep working hard to get it together. I remember we would be in staff meetings at the church I was on staff at in North Carolina, and we would be just laboring in intense prayer to try to figure out where should we should put the announcements. If we could figure out how long worship should be, how many times people should stand and sit, and where the announcements would go, the whole city of Wilmington, North Carolina would come to Jesus. We were trying to create the perfect experience so then that God would show up. His strength is made perfect in our whatever. No, his strength is made perfect in our weakness. He is looking for those who say, I will cooperate with you. And in the midst of Nehemiah, there's a story of rubble. When we get into chapter 1, the very first thing that you hear is whenever Nehemiah hears the report of what is happening, his heart is pierced. And he begins to move. Guys, I think we spent time, and we're going to get into this, um, talking about intercession. I asked last week, we're talking about some spiritual gifts. I said, how many of you are intercessors? And there were several people who stood up. How many of us are called to pray? Even if you're not an intercessor, how many of us are called to pray, right? All of us. All of us are called to cooperate and participate. Some people have a specific gifting in prayer, but you know what? Others of you have other giftings, and that gifting gets activated in the midst of prayer. Does that make sense? But God is not looking for people who will only pray. He's looking for people who will pray and then take a step. How are you guys doing? Are you guys okay? So here's just some big thoughts we're going to go through in the book of Nehemiah. We're talking about intercession. There's things for us to learn about leadership, about building, about battling, about focusing, about finishing. There's a lot for us to uncover in Nehemiah. There's things about discretion that I learned in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah did not, like reading the book of Nehemiah, 
years ago when we were getting ready to move to Grove City really changed the way I thought about leadership. Because Nehemiah did not go and hire a consulting team to create a great plan and then like broadcast it. Nehemiah knew how to keep his mouth shut and pray and wait for the timing of God. There's a lot of things we can learn in this book. But I want us to think about the scriptures we talked about this morning. Because I want you to understand that whether it's for you as an individual, whether it's you and your household, the people that, that you're you know, committed to as, as family, the ones that you're walking with. Some of you are walking with roommates right now and you're trying to you know, figure out, I don't even know if I want to live with this person or not. It is healthy for you to work out your faith with others. Doug and Jamie just looked at each other. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> it is a good thing to work out your faith with other people. If one sends a thousand to flight, how many should two send? Oh, but that doesn't, that's not how math works. Bible math means it's exponential, exponential, it's a new word. Exponential increase when I learn how to be connected. with others, because that thing that connects me is the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is where all the power lies. And so in cooperating in, in God's great work, as we got ready to talk about that, and this brings us to our review from last week, um, as we got ready to talk about that, I realized there's a lot about building, a lot about battling that we're going to learn in this book. But if we're going to be in charge of building and there's any place where we are not fully active in our spiritual gifts, then we, I really felt personally like I needed to uh, repent. Not because we don't believe in spiritual gifts. And, and in fact, some people think, oh, that's the weird spiritual gift, crazy charismatic church. We believe in spiritual gifts. But I think our emphasis on wanting to see people grow and live out of like... Um, their relationship with Jesus and not just live according to their gifting, right? In some ways, the, the cultural strength of like identity became a place where we kind of disregarded gifting. How many of you were here last week? Raise your hand. Well, help me out. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about this, but I just want to say like I, I recognize there are places where I've seen people's giftings used and exploited to build ministry. We want nothing to do with that. That's not what we're after. At the same time, if God has given gifts to be used to build up the body, then we need to make sure that we are asking God to change the way we think so that we are fully operating in his design. I was at an um, ordination service for a friend of mine at a, at a Methodist denomination. And, and the bishop of the whole North American church gets up to speak. And he led, it was so impactful to me, he led that group of pastors and leaders at this ordination in a prayer of repentance. He said, because I realized we've been asking God to strengthen the church while we reject the things he gave us to strengthen it. We've been asking God to build his church while we're telling him, God, we don't need those spiritual gifts. And so we're saying, God, give us a good attitude. Give us the right heart set about spiritual gifts. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay? So, quickly, we talked last week. Uh, we had this idea in Romans chapter 1, 
verse 11, Paul said, hey, it is my desire to come and impart a spiritual gift to you so that you'll be established. There is something about God's design for the body and for spiritual gifts that it is used to establish. And so as we begin to talk about Nehemiah and the establishment, the rebuilding of this wall, there's a place in what we are saying where, God, we want to have every resource that you want us to have as we take the next step and to see your great work happen in our lives. Does that make sense? We'll do that one more time. So the book of Nehemiah is all about God's great work. Say great work. Now I want you to think about what is the great work he's doing in you right now. Solomon said there's a time for everything under the sun. There's a time for building and a time for... How do you like the idea of God building something in your life more than tearing down? (laughs) But you know what? Part of like coming under God's design is saying, God, we welcome the wrecking ball of your Holy Spirit to come and tear down everything that needs to be torn down in the way that I think and the way that I live so that what you want to be built will be established. Does that make sense, guys? Do you want to just try to build something that's good on, on top of a bad foundation? No. We don't want to waste anything that he's doing. And so part of this place of repentance, part of asking God to change the way we think is saying, God, help us to come into your design. We see culture uh, really fighting because it's, it's rebelling against God's design. Romans tells us a story about a people who begin to, to worship the creature more than the creator. And so they, they gave up God's design. And there's something really important about us coming into a place of worship. See, part of worship, when we say, um, hey, all I did was praise, all I did was worship, that's not just singing a song. Part of worship is submitting my life, giving my life because of his worth. And so what we're saying, big picture, is God, as you do your great thing in us, we want to have the right attitude about everything that you're giving us to see that happen in our life. Guys, I'm not talking about the organization of our church, although I I pray that it affects that. I'm talking about our lives being knit together, our lives being knit together in Him, and our lives being knit together with each other. I'm talking about us getting into shape. Again, so important. The church is so out of shape, we've developed theologies to cover up the fact we're out of shape. This week I had to wear my shirt tucked in like three days in a row because my shirts were like I had one shirt I put on, it looked like a dress. Guys, I'm just at the beginning of getting in shape, but like the things I used to do don't look good anymore because it doesn't fit. There's so many things as we begin to get in shape, we're going to have to leave excuses that we used to use. Are we a little bit out of shape? Or are we just say, God, come and help us to get into shape as a church so that we look like what your word says we should look like. Does that make sense? So we're saying, God, I want every part of your design for that. I want every part of your design for that in our lives. So there's four thoughts, and then we're going to... Pray. I have one, one thing to share with you. All right. Here's four things we said, at least. I want to just make room for this this morning. Mitch, why don't you go ahead and come on up here. We said 
attitudes revealed in Scripture include eagerly desiring the gifts. Uh, and I mentioned to you that I grew up under this thought of a really awesome, amazing believer um, by the name of Amy Simpson, who was the kind of the pioneer founder of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And he said, here, let's grab that stool and you can just hang out for a second. He said, seek not, forbid not about gifts. And that seemed like a pretty balanced view at the time. But seek not, forbid not does not fit into what the word says if eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And so what we talked about last week is, God, if there's any place in our hearts where we've not had an eagerness and desire to grow in being active in spiritual gifts, by your kindness, come and change the way we think. For Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift that's inside of you. So not only eagerly desiring it, but like once we understand God's given a gift, that we're not going to neglect it. In fact, he says in the next letter, he writes, stir up the gift that's in you. And finally, we talked about the attitude where Peter says, exercise the gift. So we're saying we want to have a desire for it, and we're not going to neglect it. We're going to stir it up, and we're going to exercise it. So does anybody remember, those of you who were here last week, what was the gift that we talked about Mitch having? All right, so part of, part of uh, what Mitch did as activating his gift, guess what he did this week? No, he did not interpret dreams because no one called him. But what did you do? Well, I, I pray for you guys to all have dreams. <laughs> do you see that? A practical way for him to exercise his gift is to pray for other people to have dreams. How many of you had dreams this week? Cool. So you may have a dream you'd like for Mitch to try to interpret. That's okay. Crystal, okay. Crystal, come share your... We're just going to practice together and then we have one more big thought. We're going to pray this morning and ask God to show us his big work. <laughs> I know. I just can't remember um, the ending. Okay. So, um, okay, so in my dream, um, I was like taken to this house with all these people. And um, I knew I was going there, like, the people that were there um, had like superpowers, but they were like evil. Okay. <laughs> They're the bad guys, almost like very like witchcrafty like. So I go to this house, and I know that I'm there for like a battle, and so and I remember, well I'll get to that in a second. So uh, there's just a bunch of people in this house, and so as these they were all men, and as they came out and were like preparing for the battle, um, they came, each one of them came up to me, and they like grabbed my hands like this because they were having, um, they were like trying to like read me and like figure out like what my like abilities were. And it was a very, um, like, I don't know if anybody's ever seen Twilight, but yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> it was a very like Edward and Bella moment where he couldn't like read her, you know, like he had troubles reading her. So none of them could read me. And um, there was only one guy that was able to read something about me and he said to me, who's Jerry? Like he knew that was somebody that meant something to me. So then, 
as we're like again, per, they all go. They, we go through this process, and then as we're preparing for this battle, like I, I don't really know what I can do, but I start to realize like I can move things with my mind, which is going to help me in this battle because I can like find things and throw it across the room and you know whatever. So I start like doing things on the side, like I can like move little things. I'm like, okay, that's something I can do. So then the battle ensues, and I don't really remember what was actually happening, but I know I could fly and I could move things. And so, um, yeah, like discovering, yeah, things that I could do. And then did I tell you anything else about it? I can't remember it. <laughs> I think you won. I was in the shower, so. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, anyway, so, yeah, so, um, but what I do know is that I think, I think if I remember correctly, what happened was at the end of whatever was happening, like clearly I had like knocked everybody out and, um, yes. the, <laughs> and um, there was like one guy at the end that I, I feel like if I remember correctly, like I earned his like respect. Like I remember him being almost like the focal point of like being a, like the lead of this like other side and I had, or other side and I had like he like realized what I was capable of. Yeah. And <laughs> There you go. Okay, that was a good one. Um, yeah, it was kind of different. I don't know if I really had a dream like that, so. Yeah, well, okay, um, firstly, uh, right off the bat, I feel like it's like a two-part dream. So like there's more that you're gonna receive um, in the future, you know? Probably not a very long time. But like, there's a, there's a second half that's that's uh, still to come, you know. Okay. And um, I really feel like uh, like the meaning of the dream is that you've kind of been going through like a lot, you know, recently. Like you've been going through maybe like some things that are like hard, like more challenging, and it's to prepare you for what's what's going to come. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you will like excel. Like you're you're gonna find um, you're gonna find like that you you have what you need to uh, like excel in um, in uh, the situation. So what, what could be like really difficult and challenging was coming up, that could be like really difficult and challenging, um, you're going to find it's like quite natural. And, mm -hmm. um, and you're, cause, because you're, you're already prepared. Yeah. And there's a second part that's kind of come along that will uh, like reveal uh, the, the rest of the, um, the rest of the story for you. Sweet. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I'm going to stay here for a second. Okay. Thank you, Crystal, for being willing to share your cool dream. It was cool. <laughs> that was a good dream, yeah. yeah. Now, here's, here's the point. I asked Mitch last night, I was like, hey, can we, I said, has anybody called you with dreams to interpret this week? He said, no. He said, I've been praying for them to have dreams. I've had several people this week tell me, man, I'm having a lot of dreams this week. Now, how many of you think the, the gift of dream interpretation would be kind of cool if you had that? Just raise your hand. So praying for someone to have dreams is cool. If you have the gift of service, like praying for someone to have needs. How many of you need to exercise your gift? And so like, what that's going to mean is in relationship, because hey, if, if Mitch would have started Giving interpretation that dream that would have been like contrary to what scripture says, 
Part of like sharpening him is going to say, hey, Mitch, let's talk about. I promise you, that picture of the big ox up there, if it is safer for no one to exercise their gifts and to try to create a sterile environment where there's never any mistakes. But if we will be committed to the word of God, committed to God, and because we're committed to God, committed to his word, committed to each other to see each other begin to exercise the gift. Guys, we need to get in shape. There are people. I had a man in my car this week who has a heart for Jesus that's so hurt by the church. How many of you know someone who has hearts open to God but they've been hurt and disappointed by the people of God? How many of you, you've been disappointed I don't want to be okay with just, well, it's God will do what God's going to do. No, let's not say stand still and see the salvation of your God without knowing that part of that is stretching out the rod of authority he's given us through his word to be who he's made us to be. So Mitch, yeah. are you still open to people texting you or calling you? Yeah, totally. Can you pray for people to have dreams? Listen, if you have a dream and you feel like, hey, it's not, I don't think this is okay to share. I'm not asking anyone to share something you're not comfortable with sharing. This is not about what you're obligated to do. Love honors freedom. But this guy's actually praying that he'll have an opportunity to exercise his gift. And this is not about Mitch or about Mitch's gift. This is just an example. I think you guys got the point. It's a lot easier if I have a, if I have a gift like dream interpretation, which actually, you know, there were dream interpreters in the Bible like Daniel and Joseph. We don't see that specifically listed among a gift, but it's a part of the prophetic gifts. It's one manifestation. It's one operation of those gifts. So all of that has to come into order with what God's word says. But guys, if we, we just can't afford to say, well, I don't know, that might cause problems. Yes, it might cause problems, but God's word has answers. And if we will humble ourselves to his design, we can walk in shape. So, will you pray for, will you just take a minute and pray for gifts, or for dreams to be released? Heck yeah. <laughs> okay. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, this, uh, this power of uh, the Holy Spirit, Lord God. Lord, we ask now that you uh, reveal yourself to us and reveal something of uh, your truth, Lord God, and your, uh, just your, yourself and your presence uh, to, to this community, to this body through dreams, Lord God. And we ask that you uh, speak to us in dreams, speak to these uh, friends and family in, in dreams, Lord God. And um, Lord God, we ask that you help, uh, help us to remember the dreams when we uh, wake up and we ask that you help us to uh, feel uh, like open and uh, give us give us like a heart that we can sort of even be even to the point of being vulnerable to share, um, Lord God. And we ask that you, uh, Lord, we ask that you just uh, bless us with uh, dreams in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Thank you, Mitch. You can sit down or you can just hang up here, whatever you want to do. Okay. Either way. <laughs> I just wanted to give you the option, that's all. All right, let's, let's read this scripture together. This is in Ephesians chapter 4. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Who is he describing right here? Who? The body, the church. This is what he says that we should look like. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I have a lot of respect for Evan. I have a lot of respect for Evan and Bev and for their family. Scripture does not say that Evan is supposed to be to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. No one can do that by themselves. There's only one man who walked on the earth that has that. But together... that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him who is the head, Christ. What is his design that there's a body who fits the head? He says this is a maturing, growing up process. This is not a message of condemnation. This is a message of invitation. And I don't believe that God is waiting on a date, on a calendar, that one day, someplace far away, there'll be a church who looks like this. I believe this is an invitation from the Holy Spirit of God that we would submit to the head, that we would give ourselves to becoming like Him and becoming connected to Him. from whom the whole body, say body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. <laughs> See, there's a big work to be done, but you have a part in it. Sean Burke, would you be able to come here, buddy? Just, you can sit over there. I just want you up here with me. How many of you know Sean? Raise your hand. Woohoo! Very good, Sean. Some love. Sean has been a massive part of our family uh, for since 2002. How old were you? 18. 18 years old. Met Sean at a youth center. We walked upstairs, started playing pool. Sean was a street kid in Elwood City, kind of with a bad rap, kind of. Whether Sean did it or not, when something happened, Sean was one of the people that everybody blamed. Sean walked into the youth center. Jamie used to come and volunteer there. As we had to know Sean, we had to hear his story. Living on the streets. 
he really got a place in our hearts, especially Adrian. I remember one night, it was really late. It's about 20 degrees outside, and Adrian said, you get in the car, go find Sean. He can't be outside tonight. When we got Sean and me, brought him into our house. This story is not about how Adrian and I did some great thing for someone who needed it. It was how Jesus did a great thing for us. Because we needed it. I was still trying to make a name for myself so I could do something good for God. I knew he had a great work. I just thought I had a better plan than Jesus for how to accomplish it. So part of God's plan for Adrian and I was to bring this guy who didn't have a family into ours. Adrian had been really hurt in some areas and didn't know she ever wanted to be a mom. Sean was the first person to ever call her mom. I thought he was going to lose his head. <laughs> Adrian just looked back and said, if you're going to call me mom, I'm going to act like your mom. In the journey to our daughter, God used Sean to heal Adrian's heart to be a desired family. It took a long time for Sean to come to Jesus. Some friends gathered in a room one night. We used to do these things, these 48 hour prayer. And we were praying for lost people to come to Jesus. And at the end of that specific time of 48 hours, the last couple hours, we got everyone together. We just began to call out names of people we've been praying for. And we got to Sean and People just started to, Sean, come to Jesus. Sean had been out of Elwood City for months. He didn't know where he was. Sean, come to Jesus. Sean, come into the light. Come find Jesus. And we had no idea that Sean was in a jail. Jail cell at the time in Ohio. And the same night we're praying, the guy who's in control of the jail comes and lets Sean out, and Sean finds his way back to Elwood City that week. And within a week of us praying, Sean had given his life to Jesus. Came to Jesus, I believe on a Wednesday. We started that weekend an evangelism workshop at a church in Ohio. Took Sean with us to the workshop. So he's kind of occupied. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We got home on Sunday after church. We laid down for a nap, which is our custom. <laughs> got up from the nap and Sean was gone. I did not have faith. I'm being really honest with you. I thought, oh God, where's Sean? He's probably out getting high somewhere. And I got in my car to go find him to bring back the lost sheep. And I got to the park and Sean is sitting on the sliding board of the Bible and four or five people gathered around him and he's telling them the stories of Jesus. And I saw more people come to Jesus in that little town because a guy who didn't have a family, didn't have a home, took what he had learned about what God did in his life and just started telling people. And if you know Sean, you know there's been ups and there's been downs. But the power of gospel is not limited to how much we have it together.
when I wrote my book, Culture of the Few, I felt like the Lord really specifically told me to tell Sean's stories. There's been many other people that have come into our lives that God has used. A lot of, a lot of us, we've journeyed together. You understand what I'm saying? We've learned these things together about following Jesus. God used Justin Siders a lot in my heart. This guy who just is angry. Sincere work of God in his life, but a lot of junk. And I saw him lashing out against people who were trying to help him, and God really used Justin because Justin didn't seem worthy of my love because of the way he was treating my friends. Does that make sense to you? See, I was taught in ministry that you invest in people with good potential because that wears a good return on your investment. But it's not what Jesus did. He found, he, he actually didn't just do it. He said, don't throw a party for someone who can throw a party for you, but find someone who has nothing to offer. Do you hear what I'm saying? And Justin offended me because he lived in a house and he's cursed the people who are feeding him. In the midst of God just said, if you're going to love him according to how much he deserves, it's a different standard than loving him with the love I've given you. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's got a great work, and he wants you to know what your part is. What is your part as an individual? But he also wants us to know our part together. For some of you, you've had dreams in your heart. And they're clear dreams. And you feel like God has asked you to lay those dreams down as a part of following Him. And sometimes, again, that seems like if we were to talk about laying down everything. How many of you know He's worthy of us laying down our dreams? But then it's hard sometimes because like while you're laying down your dreams, it seems like God's fulfilling somebody else's. Is that a real thing? Yeah. And there's a whole version of church where we just pursue dreams and call it Christianity and that's not what the Bible has to say. There's a God purpose. There's God purpose in your desires. But those desires never become the idol that we worship. Your gifts. If you begin to worship your gift more than the gift, the gift giver, it's an idol. got a phone call and I'm sharing this with you. I don't want to share this with you. I need to share this with you um, just because I can tell there's both places of like really wanting to protect relationship and there's also a place of just probably insecurity. That's what it feels like. So I'm asking you, can you, can we keep this here? Okay, what I'm, let me tell you, can we keep it here? Because I want to make sure we honor relationship. I got a phone call from, um, actually I got a, a tweet tweeted to me from somebody I don't know back right around Thanksgiving time. And, and the tweet had a celebrity, or had one of those little Twitter badges on it from a celebrity. The guy's name is Stephen Baldwin. And at first I assumed that, oh, this must be a, uh, some kind of a scam. Someone's like trying to get me to do something, but he, I saw it and I looked at the message. It says, hey, bro, 
Jesus led me to your book. Thanks for writing it. Cool. I feel like the Holy Spirit's given me an idea. We should talk. Here's my cell number. How many of you know, how, let's do this way. How many of you do not know who Stephen Baldwin is? Raise your hand. If you do not know who Stephen Baldwin is. Okay, cool. How many of you, then just raise your hand. If you do know who Stephen Baldwin is, raise your hand so I can see clear. Stephen Baldwin is uh, the brother of Alec Baldwin, and he is a celebrity who has been in, he made some movies back, uh, start, probably starting in the 90s. He uh, was in a movie called The uh, Usual Suspects. He was in a movie called Biodome. He used to be in this TV show called The Young Riders. And to be honest with you, he hasn't had a lot of great hits since then. He's been on things like The Celebrity Apprentice, and it seems like there's a celebrity reality show. He's on it. But I heard somewhere along the way that he had come to Jesus. And as we pray for different spheres of influence, I've prayed for him, not like, not by any means I've prayed for him like all the time, but like he's been a name I've been aware of. And so when he, it wasn't like I was like starstruck, you know what I'm saying? But like whenever I started talking to him on the phone, he just starts like telling me a story. And I want to tie this into God's great work and then we're, we're, we're done. We're going to pray and we're done. He said, we started talking on the phone, and, and I said, hey, man, how you doing? He's like, we'll get to that later. <laughs> I feel like God's speaking. <laughs> like, I've never had an interaction with this guy other than, like, some tweets back and forth that morning. And he's like, um, man, I, I was in a really desperate time a few weeks ago, and I felt like God led me to your book. He said, to be honest with you, I just was like, God, if I don't hear from you, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just crying out to God, and he led me to your book. And he said, I don't know if you know who I am. He said, I've been in Hollywood. He said, I came to Jesus in 2001, right after 9-11. I said, I've been felt, I felt called to go to Hollywood, or be, to continue in Hollywood. He said, um, people think I'm an idiot. He said, I feel like God's got a call in for me to represent him there. He said, um, politically, he said, my network goes all the way to the president. He said, I'm frequently asked to be on news shows and TV shows as a representative of a conservative Hollywood celebrity. He said, what I've, what I've found is like what Hollywood has to offer isn't going to change our culture. What Washington has to offer isn't going to change our culture. But the message of simply following Jesus is really important. Please honor what I'm asking. Please, not that you would, but please, I, I really, I want to share something that's very precious to me because it's precious to a new friend. Some of you already know this, but like his daughter's name's Haley. And Haley married a, a guy named Justin. As he begins to tell me the story of Haley Baldwin and Justin Bieber, and how it seems that so many times the people in their lives who represent Jesus are operating in the same kind of spirit as Hollywood and Washington. You know what my heart thought about? It was just inside.
God's great work is not just to try to reach famous people. You know that? Don't know him almost hear what I'm saying, but like if our ministry would somehow feel more significant because Justin Bieber was here than it would because Justin Siders is here, then we'd miss the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he began to tell us a story about what he's seeing happening and the danger in a generation. Or if you want to make a difference for Jesus, you feel like you have to grab a stage and become somebody. He's like, that'll never lead us to the way that Jesus lived. We talked for a long time. And he texts like almost every day. The reason I'm telling you this now is because he's started to go on TV shows and talking about a movie he's in called The Least of These. It's a story of a missionary who was martyred. But he's now also talking about the book, The Culture of the Few, by Pastor Brad McCoy. <laughs> and I didn't want you guys to somehow find out about that because someone said, hey, that's someone you're connected to. Um, not that I think that you guys all watch Christian television, or even that I want you to watch Christian television. <laughs> and um, here's probably the thing that, that matters most to me and bring it back to what we're talking about. Part of what we're really about is like, how do we love God? love each other, and see the gospel spread? What if living out the gospel radically? Guys, there's, there, look, look back at that map for a second. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And there are people, there's, there's places on that map that as far as we know, the gospel about Jesus has never been part of the call in this specific church is to be a family, a sincere family, that if God were to say, go to the least of these, go give your life to lepers in India, we would say, okay, God. But if God were to say, stay the rest of your life and don't step foot out of Grove City, you just live out the gospel right here, then we would say, yes, God. One's not more spiritual than the other. It's about knowing his voice. And it is about, I think, being in shape as the body so we can live up to what he says. But this is what Stephen said at the end of our first phone call. And it's been the thing that we've been focusing on. He is really excited. Okay, context. He called me to say, hey, I think that people need to hear the stories about following Jesus in simple ways. I think people need to hear the stories of what it looks like to have your life changed in the gospel. Guys, the story I wrote about in the book wasn't just about how Sean met this sweet couple. It was about how our lives got changed by meeting, by encountering the pearl of great price that Jesus gave his life for. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, leading Sean to Jesus and discipling Sean did not help us build a really impressive church. It did change our lives and lead us to the actual person of Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? God's great work can be seen in big kind of macro level things, but God's great work is seen in the fact that there's a little boy over there who loves his dad. So Stephen wants to go on the road. He wants to go do like a tour of town hall meetings and telling stories about following Jesus. I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. But this is what he said that pierced my heart, that I think is a part of God's great work that he's given us to do. He said, whenever I got done reading this book about culture of the few, about following Jesus and impacting the lives of those you're around, it made me want to love my own kids. It made me want to be a father and make sure my own kids... He's got two daughters, Haley and Aaliyah. 
and they both have husbands, and their marriages are both new. He said, what if we just give ourselves right now to making sure that our daughters have a chance in their marriages? Millions of people have an agenda when it comes to his family. I don't know if we're called to go to a book tour right now. I'm trying to figure out how to do the things that are responsible for right now, honestly. But I said, hey, I'll be on your prayer team. We'll pray for your family. I don't think any of you are super impressed that Stephen Baldwin read my book. <laughs> like that's not a real impressive thing. But I want to be a place in my heart and my family, and I would love to invite you into it, where any family we encounter, we can point to Jesus and let them know it's a good idea to see their families discipled. Yeah. Cool. What do you think about that? <laughs> where we will value the people that no one sees value in, and we can be a safe place to love people that everybody would have an agenda with. Can you stand up? Sean sat in my living room last night. We were making some egg rolls. And I showed Sean a clip from one of the TV shows. And Sean's like, what? It's like, Sean, think about all the stories in the book that this guy's been reading and studying for the last couple months. And just hit Sean. I said, Sean, God's got a purpose in your life, man. We don't have more purpose. God's great work is not for us to become impressive to celebrities. Don't mishear what I'm saying. The thing that pierced my heart was, the thing that's in our heart is to see the church live as family so people can be empowered to live as family on mission. God's doing that. That's his desire. Each one of you has a deposit. Doug Caggiano is a gift from God. There are things in this man like he carries the character of a king. And I believe that he's a kingmaker. I mean, I believe there's ways of royalty that Doug gets at a character level. But like, it's not just like, well, we'll see how it works out. Yeah. Doug, you got potential. <laughs> no, there's a, there's a heart of a king inside of him. There's, there's a way that Doug puts on display something about God that I can't do. Because I wasn't designed to do that. But as we grow in relationship with each other, there's something that God wants to do in uncovering his great work. His great work is not to build a church. God's not looking down. God is not looking at our website <laughs> or our marketing materials. He's looking for people. Can we pray together? And I want to invite you to get into Nehemiah. Not at an outsider level. But God, would you teach us at the granular brick on top of a brick level? This was a massive job to rebuild the wall, but God did it with his people. And something about God's design for restoration is whenever he restores something, he always expands it. I believe we can read stories about the church in Acts and we can say, oh, if we could only be like the church in Acts, but God's not trying to get us to be like the church in Acts. He's inviting us to be 
like his son Jesus to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? What would it look like for Grove City for there to be a representation to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? I don't care if that's known as a church that meets down the road or the church that meets here. I just know I want to be in on it. Let's pray. I invite you. And when I say stuff like this, I don't believe there's any kind of magic to it. This is not a spell. This is nothing like that. But there is a place of activation. I think it's important. I just invite you to lay hands on your heart. And I'm going to pray. Don't be limited to the words I'm saying. I'm really inviting you to pray as well. God, we can look at the world around us. God, I can look on the news and I can see our culture is just going off the rails. And I can stand back and criticize or recognize brokenness, God, but the good news isn't really good if brokenness is more powerful than the gospel. And God, I just confess to you, God, I know that we're not in shape. I know there's a lot we need to grow up in. But God, may our hearts be pierced like Nehemiah's was in those first verses of the book where he hears of the condition of the land. He hears the condition of the great city. God, beyond the culture of this country called the United States, there's a whole world. And God, it's too common to recognize the brokenness in the world instead of the power of your great name. Your word says that the people who dwelt in darkness have seen a light. And God, we say, make us whole so we can reflect your light. Would you come and do a thing in us, God, as we learn how to live with an unconditional yes, as we learn how to take away and build excuses? God, I just admit, God, there's been places where I've built conditions because I'm afraid that you won't show up. God, there's places where I'm out of shape and I've built theologies because I know that I can't do it. God, for every person who would even just say, God, if, if you just show me what my gifting is, I'd exercise it. And until you show me what my gifting is, I'm going to eagerly desire that you show me. God, heal our wounds, heal our disappointments. God, I'm not foolish enough to think that the people that have been hurt by your church are only the people who are outside this room. God, I know. I know that there are many times that we've been hurt and we've been wounded and we've been disappointed and so we've conditioned ourselves. God, we just cry out to you this morning. God, we want to see your name. We want to see your name put on display. We want to see people recognize your goodness and your greatness. Would you establish your people, God? I don't care if you do it. God, I'm not asking you to make AOX a superfood, God. I'm not asking to make us a hero. I'm saying, Jesus, get glory because there's a, there's a people that look like you. God, I pray for the body of Christ in Grove City and in Western Pennsylvania, God, and in Malawi and in St. Petersburg, Florida and in Charlotte and in Wilmington, God, and in Ann Arbor and God, everywhere. We pray that you would, you would move. But God, shake us away from complacency. Don't let us settle for a shadow of what you've promised, God. We don't want to be a copy of a copy of a copy, God. We want to see the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ. Now, God, I pray that you would come and you would mark us. God, I pray for every person who's going to teach and who's going to share as a part of this Nehemiah journey. 
God, go beyond just the words that are on the page. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to come speak and bring life. God, we invite you to come to convict us, come correct us, come encourage us. God, I pray for Stephen and Kenya. God, I pray for their daughters and their husbands. God, I pray for Justin Siders. May we never value Justin Bieber and people who look impressive more than we would miss the least of these. Make us a place where in our own lives we see the gospel working. And whether the people who you lead us to have great esteem or feel invisible, may we be able to look them in the eye and say, freely we've received, freely we give. Let me tell you what God did in my life. Let me tell you how my life was changed by the power of the good news of Jesus. Now, God, I ask that each individual this morning would be encouraged in the thing that you've made for them to do, where each part will know how to do and share. God, we don't think this will be something that just happens tomorrow. God, we're not praying just for a lightning bolt to zap us, and we're willing to just take a step at a time. We purify ourselves because we have the hope that we belong to you, God. We don't even do that in our own strength or own morality. We humble ourselves to the power of the gospel to continue to do its work in our hearts. We love you, God. Just like 30 seconds and you pray a prayer from your heart to God's heart. Spoiler alert. In the book of Nehemiah, there's a, there's a, there's a thought that it's, it's really important. They had this big work to do, but one of the strategies to do the big work was to everyone do what was in front of their, their own house. I just pray that you would not be overwhelmed to the thought of what is going on in your life and feel like that's disconnected from the thing that God is doing. I want us to finish our time with this singing the song Jesus, song for Jesus. And um, yeah, we'll be done after that. There's some new friends here, if you please greet them. As we're leaving, if you need prayer, I'll be up here.
Um, but you don't have to get me to pray. There's a lot of amazing sons and daughters of God in this place that have powerful prayer life. Just ask for some prayer. Jesus, all for Jesus, all I hopes and plans. All of my ambitions, hopes and plans, I surrender these into your hands. All of my Ambitions, hopes, and plans, I surrender these into your hands. For it's only in your will that I am free. For it's only in your will.